Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're gonna be talking about buses being used for vehicle to grid, Amazon's autonomous car reveal, EV battery prices hitting a new milestone, EV sales surging in Europe, and VW's CEO being a little bit on the hot seat. And as always, I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Ricky Roy. So how you doing, Ricky? I'm doing good, man. I gotta tell you, your, your uh, introductions get better each week. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> doing doing well. This is, uh, we're getting near the holidays and uh, yeah, things are going good. That's awesome. So you want to jump right into it? Yes, let's jump right into it. And our first story of the day is about how New York just passed a little pilot program they had with a company called Lion Electric. And they're a company based out of Quebec and they manufacture electric school buses. So talking about a, fu a future that is sustainable and electric, we kind of don't think about some of these other kinds of vehicles that we'll need, for example, school buses. And in the US, there's about 480,000 school buses and eventually they don't have to be electric. So this company has what they call the Lion C, which is their prototype school bus. And what's really cool about this and what was really the pilot program was centered around, as Matt mentioned, is this V2G, which is vehicle to grid. So when these buses are not being used to transport children from to school in the morning, from school to home in the afternoon, though they can plug in and provide stability to the electric grid. One of the things that I think people have often brought up about these school buses and electric vehicles in general is how will you charge them all, one, and two, all the solar and wind, what happens when the sun's not shining, the wind isn't blowing, this solves all of that. So to my mind, why this is such a big deal is we often think about we need batteries for cars, all the electric vehicles, and we need batteries for storage. What if there was some overlap? And that's exactly, I think, what what Lion has has shown. And I think what's really cool is this program started in you know, like 2018. So this has been going on for a while and they've had a chance to really put it through its paces and it's proven to be pretty amazing. Some of the details here, uh, they mentioned that the bus can travel about 100 to 250 kilometers and it has a 19 kilowatt charger. So not the fastest charging in the world, but um, this is a amazing start. Yeah. So I've, I might be a little contrarian to you on vehicle to grid. I've never been a true believer in vehicle to grid. I've just never quite seen the point of having it at home because it's like most people are probably not gonna remember to plug in their car all the time to use it in emergency situ situations. But for this, this to me makes 100% sense because buses are only being used, you know, a little bit in the morning and a little bit in the afternoon. The rest of the time they're just sitting around for the most part. They're huge batteries that can be used to help stabilize the grid. So for this kind of platform, it makes so much sense. More, more than a passenger vehicle in my garage makes sense. But that's, I understand that people want it, I just don't know how much they would actually use it. That's my, my question. But for buses like this, it's it's so cool. And the other thing that they, in the article they pointed out was that these EV buses tend to cost $120,000 more up front, but can over the, the length of the lifetime of the bus will save between $170,000 and $240,000 over the life of the bus. That's insane. It's, that yeah, is it really is. nuts. What's really cool too is we talked about this, I think, in the past, but if you're buying a passenger car, most of your its life is not being used, but commercial vehicles put tons of miles. So these EV benefits can can play out in a much smaller time horizon. So yeah, um, I get what you're saying about the vehicle to grid, but I, I would say no matter what kind of vehicle it is, if it's plugged in and able to provide 
battery uh, power to and from the grid. Uh, that stability aspect is interesting. And, you know, Tesla's working on that auto trader thing where they uh, auto bidder, where they can have like buying and selling electricity at the micro fractional second. And mm. imagine getting a little check going, congratulations, here's $30 for your 50 kilowatt hour battery pack. And, you know, so I think there's interest there. And we're early. Batteries are still pretty new. Cars are still pretty new. Companies are still figuring out warranties, right? So Lion has to figure out, okay, if we're going to give a warranty to the New York State uh, Education Department and they're going to buy all these school buses and they're using vehicle to grid and we're putting charging dis discharge cycles on these buses while they're parked, you know, how does that factor into their degradation and their lifestyle, uh, lifespan? Yeah. So there's it, questions, it, but interesting. I was going to say the other interesting thing part of the part of this is that the utilities are helping to fund some of these programs, which makes perfect sense because they're going to get a huge benefit out of it because they'll be using batteries. So, like uh, in the article, they talked about Virginia getting school buses uh, with Dominion Energy down there. And it's like makes perfect sense. The utility would want to fork up some money or some rebates or something for the school districts to help do this. So it's it's not like the school districts are going to have to just pony up all the money on their own. So this is a very cool. I think I thought this news was awesome. This was a really cool use of vehicle to grid. Yeah, companies not in the U.S. You know, other countries, different types of industries, commercial school buses. Yeah, there's a lot to like about this story. And the company will be following an IPO eventually, so we'll talk yeah. about that when it comes. But definitely. Uh, next up is um, Amazon revealing their new autonomous vehicle, and this one. They, they recently bought this company. Was it Zooks? I think that's how you say it. Um, yeah. Yeah, they just recently uh, uh, acquired this company. And this company has been extremely secretive over what it's been doing. And so this is the first insight we're getting into what they're doing. And they've revealed these kind of crazy looking like city, you know, platform style cars, which have uh, LiDAR and all the corners of the vehicle. And uh, let me pull up some of these images because they're just really trippy. It's just like this just little box on wheels with LiDAR on the four corners. And these are meant for city driving. And the wheels are bi-directional, which will help allow the car to kind of get into tight spaces and ch change directions anywhere it needs to go. So it's going to be very nimble. It's going to be able to get into tight spaces. And it's it's really kind of cool. The inside, it's just like a little tram car. It's just like little benches. It's it's not no no right. frills. But what I thought was really interesting about this was the company has touted its safety record because as because this is a bi-directional vehicle, it had to invent and design very specific airbags and safety systems for this vehicle to make it super safe. And they say it's going to get a five-star safety rating. Um, and the other part of it that I kind of wanted to bring up is the fact that it's using LiDAR. And of course, you know, there's this hot debate with, you know, Elon saying LiDAR is a crutch. And here's this company... Amazon buying them and they're all about autonomy and LiDAR. I actually think that this is kind of a potential winning formula here because this is not a passenger vehicle. This is not going to be something that you're going to be buying for your house. This is something that's going to be deployed in cities by taxi companies, uh, the cities themselves. I could see this being used around airports to get you from one gate to another, that kind of a thing. In those kind of situations, you're going to probably be doing high resolution mapping and you're probably going to be doing things that this is going to be a tailored fit for wherever it's going to be used. So it doesn't really matter that it's LiDAR or not. And the fact that it is LiDAR and it is a crutch probably means they can bring this to market pretty quick. 
The downside is they haven't said when this is coming to market. They just said it's going to be starting to be used around, I think it was uh, Las Vegas, uh, Foster City, and San Francisco were the first three cities, but they didn't say when. Um, so th th really kind of interesting, interesting take to see Amazon kind of storming onto the scene from nothing previously. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of that where companies will be buying up companies and there's going to be kind of a little bit of a consolidation. But Matt, I think it was you, you mentioned last week <clears throat> talking about how there's going to be all these cool new takes on cars, which we've never seen before. We've always had front trunk, hood, wheel, wheelbase. We've had this kind of image of the car. But if you don't have a driver, you don't need a steering wheel, things can completely change. Like, for example, all four passengers uh, looking at each other. You kind of mentioned like a tram car, like a like a like a like a coach bus or like a like a train car, um, completely different image of what it looks like. And if you're going to be traversing in small cities, especially like to my mind, like European cities come to mind, there's no forward or back the car, the motors, you just change the change the voltage, the current and it, it spins the other way. So the car can kind of travel around and I almost imagine maybe like four wheel steering so you could like kind of do the little crab walk and park in really tight spots. This is a reimagination of what a future car that doesn't need a driver or a car that isn't built around a driver would look like. Um, and it's very exciting. And it makes me kind of think when we talk about robo taxis, this is what I envision that we'll use. We're not going to use like a Model 3. The Model 3 is made for me, my family, you and your family. It's not really perfectly built. It's not tailor built the way this would be. So this is really cool. Any, any news, do you know if uh, they're ready to ship or are they, is there any like, timelines as far as? No yeah, timeline. So early, early days, yeah. Okay. Yep. So this is a, a kind of a bittersweet moment probably for us. We've been talking about this kind of holy grail, this point where electric batteries uh, are, and batteries that go into cars and not just at the cell level, but at the pack level could reach prices of $100 per kilowatt hour. And you've probably heard this number before, and it basically just comes to, from the idea that you hit that price, and what you've got is you have price parity with gasoline cars. The manufacturer of gas cars, when you factor in the fact that you don't need a gas, and, uh, and the engine and transmission in gas cars is more expensive, but the batteries are more expensive here. But when you factor all in together, you've got price parity. And that is pretty much the point where the final domino falls, and like who would be buying up gas cars? And this is... Um, this is all good news, but there is a but, uh, and the caveat is that we've hit, the, <laughs> I, I should maybe led with this, but the but is that this is for commercial operations. So what that really means is when you, when you build an entire uh, cell to pack, when you're building it for, let's say, for example, an electric bus in China, you know, the, <clears throat> the logistics and the packaging challenges are a little bit different. So the costs kind of come down compared to all the you know tighter spaces that you'd have in like a passenger car. So for electric buses and other commercial applications, we're there. And current estimates, I think, from some of the studies I've been seeing, put the current price for like passenger vehicles at around 137 kilowatt hours. So uh, dollars per kilowatt hour. But the interesting part will be to see where Tesla's news, maybe the the 41 the the 4680 cells, how that will change the game and where prices go from here. I really think we're going to have a dramatic drop from here. In the next two years, I think battery prices might even be like $85, $80. We'll see. Yeah, the, the Bloomberg NEF article that, that was referenced in the, these um, articles that we were talking about, 
uh, in that study, they had said something like breaking that $100 barrier as an average by 2023. So it's not, even they're, not, even they're saying it's not too much longer to wait before a huge number of EV manufacturers have broken that barrier. So I think you're probably spot on that Tesla may get to 80 some dollars or something like that in the next few years, because that's going to help pull that average down for the rest for the rest of the industry. But I liked how you kind of left the butt out <laughs> until you had gotten all the way into the story. Because for I'm me, the, that I'm was... the eternal optimist. Because <laughs> yeah. it is it is funny how it's it's uh, was it lithium phosphate? That's what the battery ones, was. Yeah. 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 So the chemistry benefits are also a little bit cheaper as well. Good yeah. Point. It's, a, it's a cheaper chemistry. It's for larger format batteries for buses. So there's a whole bunch of lot, like asterisks on this story, but it's still an important milestone and it's just the sign of things to come. And it's just like one of those things I've been saying this for a while. It's like if we're right at the beginning of that tipping point for EVs. And it's, it's really cool to see this kind of news trickling in. It's like all of us that have been into EVs have been seeing this coming for years. And everybody else has been like in denial that this is happening. And the people that are saying that EVs are going to be by 2050, it might be at like 30 or 40% market share. It's like, they're insane. If you don't think this is going to happen, this is going to accelerate. It's like, it's getting faster each year. So this is just, this milestone is just the beginning of that slippery slope into EV town. It's gonna be really cool to see how this plays out. Yeah, I think you have a future topic on this, on this show where we'll talk about how crazy that is to project out to 2040 and 2030, I think things will happen way quicker. The one risk I could potentially see here is that the demand for lithium ion chemistries, all the various chemistries of batteries, is going to go through the roof. Everybody is building EVs. And so even if the manufacturing operational costs go down and the capital expenditure requirements go down and there's more supply, imagine if, if just the demand goes 10x and suddenly the prices could creep back up. I think to me, that's the only risk is if the supply can't quite keep up. But I see these prices dropping for all the right reasons as far as manufacturing goes. Next story, EV sales are surging in Europe. This is another one of those slippery slope articles <laughs> going down this trend. You can kind of see a trend happening here. Uh, this is the EV sales in Europe are just going gangbusters. And the thing from this story that I thought was fascinating was it shows that regulatory changes because the European Union has said gas cars are going to be banned by a certain date. And they're releasing so many different EV cars in Europe that they're not bringing here. And it's just looking at some of these charts they included here. It, it's nuts uh, when you look at what's selling. Um, the top 10 cars, here's, here's the text list for everybody to see. Uh, the Renault Zoe is number one of the top 10 selling right now. Number seven is the Tesla Model 3. So there are six cars above Tesla in Europe right now for best-selling cars. Now, a few, a couple of these are brand new, the VW ID3 and the uh, Mazda MX-30. But just look at the selection you have in Europe right now for EVs. This is, in the United States, <laughs> I am so jealous of the choices they have in Europe right now. Um, the most important part of this is that the European Union has those regulations and it just goes to show you what we need to do around the world. It's like we need this in North America, Canada and the US. We need this in Australia. We need this in, you know, Korea and China and everywhere. It's like this is what's going to move the needle because as soon as you do that, companies 
rise to the challenge and they start delivering vehicles based on what the requirements are. And that's what's happening in Europe. So it's just, please, in the US, please, for the love of God, can we please do this? Because <laughs> I want to see these. I mean, it's here. starting to happen, but yeah, we're nowhere near it. And, I, you know, if we watch Fully Charged, um, you hear those guys talking about all these models and you're like, what? What is this? I've never heard of it. And unless you watch Fully Charged or you watch like UK or BBC, you would think like electric vehicles or the Chevy Bolt, the Kona, like there's like four options yeah. we have here. So a couple interesting things. For one, um, one of the reasons why I think EVs are going to just take off in Europe, and that's a good thing for us too, because it'll make manufacturers just, just make EVs, is you don't have to drive as far. I mean, if you drive a whole day, you might've gone through like five countries, whereas you know, we've talked about this before, I can drive all day and still be in California. So yeah. the, I think we've, we've built like a, a lifestyle where we're just more spread out. So that range kind of kind of stuff kind of factors in because some of these cars don't have all that range, but for most people in Europe, not a problem at all. So that helps. Second thing I think is cultural uh, considerations. There's people just today. There was a guy in his big truck that was like flooring it on like near my car. You know, you have there's like this kind of cultural love for oil and stuff. So there's like some cultural kind of things going on there. And finally, there's some really clever bits of like ingenuity in terms of the, the business models. So you mentioned the first one was the Renault Chloe and they have a really cool option for renting the battery. So you buy the car, but you rent the battery pack. So the car is cheap. It's like $22,000, like any other car. And you just pay like a rental fee for the battery pack. And the cool thing there is you don't worry about degradation because you're renting a battery and if it doesn't perform, it'll get replaced for you. Really interesting uh, kind of a business model. So really brilliant stuff all around. And hopefully some of that trickles down to North America. Yeah, I really hope so. <laughs> we, need some, we need some choice. And it goes to show you, I've always, mentioned, I've always said, you can't just have Tesla. It doesn't work like that. You can't have, and Tesla has like four models. There are people who just have quirky interests and an and eye for different types of vehicles. You got to have a hundred options out there. Only then will we really get that mass adoption. Yeah, there was that recent episode of Fully Charged where they reviewed this little tiny car from France. I can't remember what the model was. Uh, it was designed in a way that you don't need a license to drive it. So you could have a 14-year-old kid in France driving it around. And it's this that. tiny little four-wheel car that could, it's like smaller than a smart car. It's like you can fit like two or three of these things in one car spot. Um, it's, it, it's that kind of stuff that gets me super excited about EVs. These different form factors different uh options depending on where you live that'd be perfect for a city perfect for teenagers it's like so many options but here in the us not so much yet it's let's hope that changes yeah yeah <laughs> the next one is interesting so this this story is about the the volkswagen ceo which is herbert dyson how he is kind of on the hot seat and it's not all bad there's some good news here too he pretty much had this grand pitch to their supervisory board about, hey, we want to make electric vehicles. We think this is really important. And you could just imagine how that must have gone down. First of all, like at any major automotive company, I can imagine how tough that would be. But he's gotten some traction. For example, um, Arno Antlitz, who's going to be taken over as the CFO, was one of his people. So in, to his mind, he would like a little bit of control over who has some of the critical roles in the company. And he's He's getting that. You know, uh, another men another mention is of Thomas Schmall, who's on the board in charge of the technology division for the for the company, and um, Murat Axel is also one of his people who is going to be in head of the procurement 
for the entire company. So these are people that he wanted to be in charge and he got approval to do that. So he's going to have kind of his cabinet, if you will, to to help with this transitional uh, transitional period because they're well on their way now. The bad news is they didn't agree to <laughs> to uh, extend his, his contract. So I think what this what this tells me is they're they're good to give him a shot and to back him and say, look, we see your vision and we're going to let you play it out. But we'll talk about your extension two years from now. So pretty much two years from now, they're going to look and say, how have things gone? How many, all the software problems sorted out? Do you have battery supply? How's the ID394 going? Show us your sales and then we'll reevaluate. So to my mind, I don't think it is a dire story at all. I think he's doing good. He's a visionary uh, CEO, which pretty rare. And I'm glad to hear that he's going to, um, he's going to have, have a little bit of backing at least to, to, to play this out. And it's not going to be easy. Another mention in the article was that he had members of like their metal, uh, you know, um, unions and stuff. So they're like the metal workers unions of, of, of the UK and Germany. And there's going to be some cuts involved. For example, there's going to be probably a downturn in terms of like firing people, right? There's going to be a reduction in workforce. So there's a lot that goes into this. And he has had to pitch this pretty ambitious, but also drastic and change is hard for everybody. And I got to say hats off to him because I think he's probably done a better job from any automaker uh, standpoint. Yeah, he's he's got an uphill battle right now in front of him. And it's it's impressive what he's being what he's pulling off. And I'm, I'm in his corner. I'm rooting for him and I want him to succeed. But yeah. I'm looking at this news as, uh, I don't know, a glass half empty a little bit because <laughs> it it, to me, it makes that supervisory board look like they just don't get it because it's like, yeah, they're giving him the approval to do what he needs to do for the next two years. But the fact that they aren't giving him more support than they already are giving him, it kind of, it, it says to me that they're not completely bought into the whole concept and that they think it might fail. And if it fails, he's the scapegoat and they can pivot and do whatever the hell they want two years from now. So I, I, it feels to me like there's a little too much I don't know. There might be a little too much resistance, I guess I would say, in the supervisory board from what I took away from this article. It, it, it does concern me a little bit. If he's on shaky ground in two years, that he could get ousted, where if he was just given a couple extra years beyond that, you might fe- see him succeed. It's like, I'm just, I'm worried that they're going to pull the ripcord too early because of the way they're doing this right now. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I, I will say, like, part of the responsibility of like a supervisory board is kind of the fiduciary duty to the shareholders and to be able to say, we have to kind of mitigate risk. And that kind of, in certain ways, kind of supersedes vision or like technology or sustainability in a way. Um, but let's hope, I don't know. I, I I mean, there's still, there's a chance that like the ID4 is a breakout hit. The ID3 is already selling like gangbusters. It hasn't been out that long and it's doing really well. And two years go by and it's a kind of a home run and um, he gets extended. Yeah, it is their duty for the shareholders. But at the same time, that kind of line of thinking can very easily get spun into just being bogged down into the past and not evolving and innovating. So there, there's a there's a balance that has to be struck. And it's like, I'm just worried that they might slide a little to that too conservative scale. And by looking short, too short term, they could end up screwing the company long term. And that's the one thing I'm concerned about. So it's like, 
I really hope they give him a genuine chance and that I'm being a glass half empty here when it's actually a glass half full. Uh, I'm just concerned. I think, I think, I think you're, I think you're, it's a fair assessment. My kind of concern is that they're going to go, okay, you got the ID3, you got the ID4, go, go sell these, then we'll talk as opposed to being open to having 20 other different models and, and, and continuing to convert old factories into new EV production lines and stuff. So I think those kinds of decisions, when the news breaks about that, will be very telling. If another factory in Germany is transitioned over to building EVs, as that happens, I think we'll have a better picture. But I think you have, I think you're probably pretty right to to have that caution. Okay. Well, we'll see. <laughs> see right. how this plays out over the next two years. I think it's going to be done a, huge a good seller. job. I think it's going to be a huge seller. I think I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be proven right. I just. I just really, I'm rooting for him. Yeah, it doesn't, I love that they came out and built a normal car. The ID3 and the ID4 are both, to my mind, good looking cars. The ID3 is a great car. I love those European kind of style hatchbacks. The shame we won't get it here. But the ID4, kind of the Model Y category of car, very popular here. And they look normal. They're not Avatar, (laughs) (laughs) alien technology (laughs) seats and floating sh- you know, it's a normal car and it shows you that they're they're going to make a bunch of these and they've already started to which is really cool well next up little tesla news here this is there's a little bit of a trend here in some of our stories this one tesla announces a new ccs charging adapter that would work in north america but they're not releasing it here which <laughs> uh, drives me nuts um as, as you know in the european union they were forced to go to CCS2 uh, because that's the standard for all EVs. It's required. So they did that, and they've retrofitted their superchargers across the uh, European Union to make sure that everybody can charge. Uh, but here in the U.S., we're stuck with just the Tesla charger, and we can't take advantage of Electrify America or EVgo, other fast-charging networks, because we don't have the ability to plug in a CCS charger into our cars. And the fact that they have one for, in Europe, it's the CCS2 that's over there. And over here at CCS1, well, they've created a CCS1 charger here for Korea. So now they actually have the part that will work here, but they're not releasing it for Canada and the United States. And at this point, I'm just shaking my head going, what is going on? Why is Tesla not releasing this for us? Because I would love this. It's like this would just open up the world of possibilities for a tesla owner it makes we already have the best supercharger network (laughs) anywhere now imagine taking the how much how much how plentiful those are and adding on top of that electrify america and evgo it's like we would we would have so much potential where we could charge it would be insane and the fact that they're not releasing this i'm just i'm shaking my head i'm hoping they will in the next year or two I just don't get the delay. That's that's my big concern here. My big question. Yeah, combined charging standard is kind of you've mentioned before that Tesla is like Apple. Um, so <laughs> using that analogy, Tesla's charge port is the lightning cable on your iPhone, when every other phone maker is using USB-C. And this is um, this is again we've talked about this, I believe last week where the European Union is just so far better at this they really understand standards and they drive for standards, which 
um, kind of in the, in the U.S., it feels like it can be a little more of a Wild West, especially with, with this. But I really hope that we get past this and all EVs share the same thing. You don't have the Chevy gas nozzle and the Chevy gas station and you can't charge at the Ford gas station. You don't have that and you can't have that. You know, we have Internet protocols. We have you know, the, the Internet doesn't work if we don't all agree on how the rules are and how to make addresses work. Um, so to me, standardization is a huge thing for me. And I'm really hoping that they get this sorted out. Uh, Chatamo, have you ever used Chatamo? I, I think we I, could use those with an adapter. <laughs> yes. By those, the way, those adapters that adapter like is $300 or something like that. I, I thought four, it was 500 Maybe it is 500, 500. It's, it's insane how much they cost. And it's really big and clunky. It's this big handle. I don't know. You know, there must be something in there. So we, we do have that DC fast charge option. But yeah, if you look at the port, what's really cool is that combined charging, the CCS, what it stands for, is it takes in the, yeah, so the two big pins there on the top, well, here on the top, that's the direct current fast charge and on the the the, the ring of, of pins is for the ac charging so this will accommodate all of it uh, much like what tesla does now really cool standard i think this will work i, I mean when you think about like future proofing of a standard will it work in the future it, i think the ccs standard supports up to 350 kilowatts which i think for passenger vehicles i think that does it i think well That's i think plenty. we could get by with 350 yeah yeah and you know, USB 2 to USB 3. We, I mean, they can maybe make it like backward compatible or something. And these are the funny things, right? I mean, imagine in the future, you might have to take your car in to have the port changed and like maybe have like an inverter changed. And now you have the new USB 3 port for, yeah. for charging. But that's kind of, yeah. But I'm big on standards and I think Tesla would, it would behoove them to do that. One thing to keep in mind, you mentioned that we have the supercharged network is really uh, vast and, and quite good. But in the future, is Tesla going to be building charging like as they grow and build more cars? To me, that is a high level of capital expenditure, a CapEx, that I don't know that they need to be doing. If they had a CCS charging infrastructure, you don't have to scale because right now they do. Like With every nth Tesla you sell, you better have another supercharger. Otherwise, people are complaining about long wait times and stuff. So I think they would behoove them to get out of the game and let all the other networks out there be options like, you know. At some point, they might. I mean, that's the way Apple's played the game, too. It's like they had a lightning port, and they created that because USB couldn't do what they wanted it to do, so they created their own system. And then over time, they've been slowly, some of their devices moving over to USB-C because USB-C, which they're also in the standards body for, does exactly what they wanted it to do. So it's like they're, they're slowly transitioning over when it makes sense, but they don't want to slow down their pace of innovation. So they create their own system so they can move forward as fast as they want to be the master of their own destiny. And then when everything catches up, then they can flip over. I would hope Tesla plays that game too here where they're blazing their own trail with their own supercharger network. And at some point when there's enough kind of like other infrastructure in place that can really help support things that they start to slow down their own rollout and if they give us CCS2 or whatever the standard is, it's like that is going to be amazing because that would free up capital for them to do other things, make new cars, make new breakthroughs. But I don't see a, a point of keeping their proprietary charger when CCS2 does the same thing. There, there's the limitations just really aren't there anymore. Yeah, I agree. I think. And as far as how much, I don't know if Tesla's ever published this, but how much money do they make on the supercharger network? You're buying electricity at some base rate and adding a little bit to it. It can't be that much. And some of these stations have 
like huge solar installations and mega packs. And there's a huge amount of infrastructure that they have to build out for these things. I think if I'm Tesla, I, I don't want to be in the business of having a, to, I think I build them where there aren't any like strategic locations, but I'm not trying to be in the business of growing an entire network. Um, I think that would be a very heavy capital, capex uh, spend that they don't need to have. By the way, to your point about the uh, lightning as, as far as why Apple introduced it, part of the problem by going proprietary is you lose out on the innovation. So when USB-C came around, lightning to this day, like my 2020 iPhone, if you plugged it in and like transferred data, it's over USB 2 speed because they never updated it. So their dinky little lightning proprietary cable is old and bad. <laughs> Whereas if you had just followed standard, you get all the innovations that come with it for free as well. It's kind of like in software being open source is you have tons of smart people fixing the bugs for you as opposed to keeping it all proprietary and being on the hook for sorting it all out. So there's but, plenty of reason for why I hope they... I, but there's a whole... This is not, we're not going to get into Apple, but there's a whole, the portless iPhone is coming. So it's like, I think, I think they're going to, they're going to leapfrog USB-C. So it's like, they're, the reason they're hanging on to lightning so long, I think, is because they're just going to get rid of the port altogether. So it's, <laughs> just yeah. wait, it's going to happen. That does bring us to the end of this show. Uh, so be sure to subscribe and hit the notification bell so you don't miss out on future episodes. We do a show every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. So we hope to see you here each week. You can chime in with questions. If you want to listen to the show on the go, you can subscribe to the podcast at viceversa.show. And if you do, be sure to rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. Like if you're listening on Apple, make sure to give us a review because it really does help the show. So thanks for watching and for listening. We'll see you in the next one.